I'm Tony Perkins, and this is More Than a Game, the podcast that takes you beyond the box score and tells the Arizona sports stories you've never heard. On this episode, how a baseball powerhouse passes from one generation to the next. But first, a look at a seismic shift in college sports. The NCAA enacted its name, image, and likeness policy two years ago. Some of the top players signed massive endorsement deals with national brands right away. Others reached agreements with regional and local businesses. Dollar figures are not always announced, but it's clear. Student athletes in almost every state and in a wide range of different sports have taken advantage of the plan to receive financial compensation for their efforts. The University of Arizona hosted figures from college sports in Washington, D.C. earlier this month to discuss this rapidly changing aspect of the activity and how its impact could change everything we know about amateur athletics. U of A women's basketball player Maya Inaji is thinking long-term. Because I am actually studying medicine after I play professionally um, in basketball, I do want to become a doctor. And the NCAA's Name, Image, and Likeness Policy, or NIL, came along at exactly the right time. For Inaji, it's all about new financial opportunities and more. She's working with nonprofits in Tucson like food banks and notes it's not all about increasing her personal profile. Having an opportunity to brand myself as a black female athlete and be a role model to younger black female athletes is huge. But when you hear university officials talk about what the policy's done to the college athletics world, you hear a litany of doom and gloom. And for U of A President Robert Robbins, that's just the start. I was talking last night and you know, what is the state of athletics? And, and to put it into a cardiac surgery term, I think, I think we're in the ICU. Although NIL deals have opened doors to new possibilities for student-athletes, they have also introduced a level of instability for collegiate sports that's unmatched in its history. Escapes, yes. Oh, my goodness, the extra point blocked. Picked up. Pat Fields. Part of the danger universities see is the rise of collectives. Those are organizations of business people and financial donors formerly kept at arm's length from athletics programs, now enabled to pool their resources and exert influence. Collectives distribute hundreds of thousands of dollars to athletes for what look like NIL endorsements and appearance fees. And players understand if one school can't offer enough money for his or her talents, there's another one that probably will. U of A football coach Jed Fish says it only makes economic sense for some or all of a school's top performers to consider transferring if they don't feel they're getting what they're worth. He compares the system to the NFL's salary cap strategy, except without the guardrails. So if we have 69 Power 5 teams that are working under 69 different caps or uncapped, I should say. And then you're looking at a registry where players can look to see what somebody that they might deem not as good of a player as them at their position, and then could see a market value that one program, you know, denotes a 10x of what another program does. Why wouldn't you go in the portal? 
University of Missouri Athletics Director Desiree Reed Francois explains it's hard to know where the policy's impact is headed. And you know what? Things that the conversations that we're having, because this is an evolution, are so much different than where we were not only um, three years ago, but even six months ago. Sports commentator Armin Katayan is among the observers predicting a reckoning that can be devastating for collegiate sports. This is it. This is an inflection point. You can call it chaos. You can call it turmoil. You can call it crosswinds. This is it. The mood of uncertainty has driven some athletics programs to relinquish their traditional conference memberships to join new alliances, searching for more exposure and lucrative TV deals. USC and UCLA will play their final seasons in the Pac-12 this year and move to the Big Ten Conference in 2024. It's a move affecting financial futures for both leagues. It's become serious enough for college presidents to go to Capitol Hill for help. Robbins and others want Congress to step in. South Carolina U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham introduced legislation for a federal clearinghouse regulating NIL deals. It would provide broad oversight over aspects ranging from endorsements to recruitment. The panel would also give agencies like the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, or state attorneys general information regarding any potential wrongdoing. Georgia Republican Representative Buddy Carter believes the policy's basic intent was sound, rewarding student-athletes for their service to the institutions they attend. But... So much has changed, and... and yeah, and that, you know, change is all, is okay, but we just got to make sure we're not we're not hurting it. With federal lawmakers divided on many key issues that don't involve sports, don't expect action to come from Washington anytime soon. Student athletes will continue to benefit financially from the new NIL frontier. Universities will face a landscape where boosters will more heavily influence the direction of their athletic signatures, and chaos might become the natural state of affairs for what we used to call amateur sports. Last episode, we introduced you to the coaching legend who helped build a baseball powerhouse just north of the border. But what happened to Nogales High's baseball team after Viejo Concanon retired? Katya Mendoza answers that question by exploring a pair of family ties as our series on Latinos and baseball continues. After Viejo's reign, a new era of Nogales baseball was born. He was succeeded by Bob Young, who would lead the Apaches to two more state championships in 1976 and 1981. The program developed players, some of whose fathers had played for Viejo years before. Competition was growing fierce. Just a couple of hours east, another team was making a name for itself in the border town of Douglas. Their high school baseball program was coached by Manny Valenzuela, who led the Bulldogs to two state championship titles and a runner-up appearance. The schools would go head-to-head -head for the championship in 1981. 
You'll hear from players who remember that game later, but first we'll take a trip to Nogales' historic War Memorial Baseball Stadium. If you remember, my dad shared with us how big a deal it was to play at War Memorial. Built by veterans of the Second World War, former Apache David Oropesa and I try to figure out when it was officially built. I've been talking to the veterans of foreign wars for the last 10, 15 years, and see if they had records of... He's the park supervisor for the city of Nogales, and his office sits beneath the stadium. My dad did play baseball in the uh, early 50s, and he was part of the three uh, state championships for Nogales High School. René. You can find his name on the plaques commemorating each championship outside the stadium. Growing up, um, in my middle school years, summertime, my dad would take me down south to play with the older older crowd. So as a young age, I experienced that, and, and uh, I experienced playing with older older people, older players, so that kind of molded me into who I was as a pitcher for Nogales High School, and that, I think that was the stepping stone to being who I was and I am today. He played against 19 and 20-something-year-olds in Hermosillo and Benjamin Hill in Sonora, Mexico. He wanted me to be competitive as well, and that was the only... And I think back in the days, I think that's what we used to do a lot, is just play whomever we wanted to play with, and, and you become a better player that way. David and his cousin Gil Heredia grew up playing Sandlot baseball together. He lived on the west side of town, which is by the hospital, and I lived by, I would say, in the east. We'll put it on the east side. Um, it was very, it, it was very interesting. It was fun, and people don't realize and don't believe us, but it was Sandlot. We had a group of kids or a group of players that we would get on our bikes and uh, bike to to his land, do we call it? And uh, we played against them, and then the following weekend they would come and play in our field. So we just made up fields as we went along. Playing with his cousin didn't stop there. We played through intramurals, uh, middle school, high school. Um, and we played one year in junior college with him. And then that's when we went our separate ways. The cousins played in the 1979 Babe Ruth World Series when they were young teens, Gil recalls. Junior high created some more competition with uh, outside you know, Tucson area schools. By then, I knew that it was a pretty cool game for me because I was pretty decent at it. When I started high school, my freshman year, I had an opportunity to play for the junior varsity team as a freshman. About halfway through the season, he was called up to varsity. I had a lot of learning experience there and had an opportunity to go to the state uh, championship which we ended up losing, but it was just great experience to be able to be part of that. It's my sophomore year, we were uh, fortunate enough to win the state championship for the Nogales High School, which was back in 1981. Both cousins pitched in the championship game. Gil was a starting pitcher. Yeah, we just played Douglas, and uh, it was just a normal game, but we knew it was state. And uh, we were just not confident, but we were very comfortable with ourselves playing ball because we played ball since young kids and everybody in our team. And uh, it was very comfortable and very inviting. And uh, yeah, we just playing at a younger age with older players that molded me to be who I was as a freshman playing against seniors. And that helped me a lot. The nervousness just never came in. I played center field and I remember he 
absolutely had a brilliant game and we beat Douglas and Douglas had a really good team. Uh, Louis was part of their team. Gil is talking about former Bulldog Louis Varela, who you'll hear from next week. He was their all-star pitcher, shortstop. He was just a really good athlete. Um, words were exchanged. I don't know if they were bad words. I mean, I remember it's just a good rivalry. Uh, and, it, and it went back to football and basketball and all the sports that Douglas Nogales had as far as the rivalry. David said that Coach Kincannon opened a lot of doors for a lot of people, helping turn Nogales into the baseball town that it is today. He says his former coach, Bob Young, and his coaching staff also knew what they were talking about. We had a lot of talent back in the days, and uh, that helped quite a bit with just the intramural baseballs and the little leagues and, and everything else. I asked David why there's so much baseball talent in Nogales. Baseball in border towns, it will always be there. We are not a football, basketball, volleyball Sorry to say, but for some it is, but it's, uh, it's just a baseball town. I mean, we're, we don't have our six foot sevens, six, nine football player linemen like any other place does. We're a small town and not too many student athletes come out. So there's just a handful of players and the parents are taking the initiative and, and trying to make their kids to become somebody that they want them to become, you know, get, you know, become student athletes and, and, and move forward. David and Gil played together at Pima Community College under the legendary coach Rich Alday, who established the junior college's baseball program and took it to a National Junior College Athletic Association baseball championship. What came next for Gil was the University of Arizona. His cousin David would go on to play for the University of Alabama and was later drafted by the Montreal Expos for a short run until an injury cut his career short. After my freshman year in Pima, I got drafted in the supplementary draft in the first round and I started seeing dollar signs. I started seeing opportunities saying I don't need to go to school. And I remember that evening where the scout said, well, this is what we're going to offer you. And I was just going, wow. And that's a lot of money. I can buy a car. Uh, my dad said, this is like, son, you're not going to sign this contract because this is not enough and you're going to go to school. And my dad was very adamant about that. And he kind of pressed the issue and he said, yeah, let you think about it. And the scout said, well, I'll give you till tomorrow. And I decided not to sign and continue my college education. But my dad always kind of force fed, not force fed me, but kind of taught me that they can never take away your education, but you know, you can, you're going to stop playing one of these days regardless. So he taught me that little rule of thumb saying they can never take away your wisdom and your knowledge. So get educated. In 1985, Gil transferred from Pima to play for the Wildcats, winning a national championship one year later in 1986 under coach Jerry Kindall, who was also known for having a controversial career. Coach Jerry Kendall inspired me in a way that it was pretty unique, especially coming from a, a border town, coming from a Mexican family uh, culture. Coach Jerry Kendall, believe it or not, had a reputation of saying that he did not recruit Mexicans, he did not recruit African-Americans, he didn't recruit Asian. 
I can go on forever about how people thought of him, but so I'll tell you what Coach Jerry Kendall is. He is one of my most inspirational coaches, one of them, because not only did he teach me a little bit about the hard work and discipline, but he introduced a little bit of faith to me. It was a really cool thing to be able to blend my education, the hard work, and some faith, and to be able to grow up to be a, a good human being. Uh, and he inspired that from us. He inspired to get all the hard work to be the best he can be, and he, and he, and he applied that. When people would ask me, I says, so is Coach Kendall like that? And I says, no, absolutely not. What Coach Kendall does is he would try to put the best nine players out there regardless of race, regardless of whatever you want to call it. And that was my answer because there's obviously people that went to the U of A while he was there in his 10 years head coach. And they would tell him, you're not going to, you made a bad choice. And so I made an amazing choice and it prolonged my career. It, it, it gave me the opportunity to expand my horizon. I asked him to tell me about baseball in Southern Arizona in the 1980s. I, I think that the baseball environment, and I mean, this is a very abstract question because my personal feel as far as what baseball was is, I think it had like a little history of knowing that baseball players from Southern Arizona who were pretty decent, had really good background heritage that, I mean, there were some really good ball baseball players that came out of Southern Arizona. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the weather. Because um, you don't hear anybody from Flagstaff over there or Northern Arizona. Gil had a long career. He made his MLB debut in the early 90s with the San Francisco Giants later being traded to the Montreal Expos and eventually the Texas Rangers, Oakland Athletics, and Chicago White Sox in the early 2000s. Baseball is a year-round thing for kids now because there's club teams and that's where you see it evolving where these kids are now getting bigger, stronger, more specialized. I, I personally think that there's there's injury to that. That's why there's probably more injuries now. I don't know what the facts are, but when I was growing up, I think it was more of being inspired as far as three-sport athlete, um, getting good at a lot of things. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it's way different now. The community in Nogales is so tight-knit. Kids can start playing together from around the age they can pick up a baseball through their senior year in high school. I asked David and Gil about that chemistry. It's very important to have chemistry as, as you grow older with a group of kids. Unfortunately, back when we were growing up, we didn't have the travel ball. Uh, we just had Sandlot baseball in the weekends when it was baseball season, because obviously we would play Little League after that. Gil still works in the baseball industry. He helps the Los Angeles Angels with their minor league spring training in Phoenix. We talked about the current Nogales High School coaching staff, the Favelas. Oscar was one of my coaches. He was one of my football coaches and baseball coaches and a basketball coach. Oscar used to live in our neighborhood when we were small. 
And I remembered that he was one of our my one of my early football coaches when I was a seventh grader playing tackle football for the first time. He used to have an old Chevy pickup, and we used to walk from Wade Carpenter Junior High all the way to the west side towards the, where the hospital is, St. Mary Hospital is, or I don't know what it's called now. But and he always used to pick us up in his white Chevy truck, and we used to hop on and saved us a mile, a mile and a half of walking. Those memories that come back to me with talking with people about the Favelas and Oscar and OJ and it's just amazing how things evolved how, how small the this world is and how many people know each other on, on this history. The Favelas have a long history with the program too. Oscar played under Viejo and was a part of the 1965 championship team. He was also a part of the coaching staff under Bob Young for the 1981 team. The way his son O.J. describes it, baseball is in their genes. My grandfather uh, played at the U of A, um, went to war, came back, and then uh, signed on with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Boston Red Sox. He was in their organization. So ever since I can remember, this, there's been a bat and a ball and glove involved somehow, some way in my life. His grandfather on his mother's side, Arnold Riesgo, was a Tucson High School grad and played for the University of Arizona in 1940, possibly alongside Viejo. It was said that he signed a pro ball contract in Pop McHale's living room in 1941. He also served in the U.S. Army during World War II before his decades-long career. In 2011, he was inducted into the Pima County Sports Hall of Fame. O.J. attended Nogales High School between 1987 and 1991. He said he was an infielder. His dad, Oscar, who graduated back in 1967, said that he was coached by the Bachelier brothers. Remember the head coach who took over for Viejo in 1974? I spoke with the favelas in the press box at War Memorial Stadium as the team was warming up to play against Douglas. When I went to school, I had a Johnny, Johnny Glenn played. Remember the player Viejo took my dad's team to go watch at the U of A? He set all kinds of records. He's a left-handed batter. I asked Oscar if he remembered yes, coaching yes. Gil. I remember uh, coaching him. Uh, he was on my freshman team. I used to be the freshman coach. And, uh, and we used to practice up at the old high school. And uh, the varsity uh, used to practice in this field over here. And I remember we started to practice early over there, and he would practice with us. And then he would get over here and practice with the, with the varsity. Like, he, was, he was just so determined. He had a tremendous work ethic, uh, pretty much like a straight-A student. I think he wanted to go into engineering. I interviewed the favelas at the beginning of this past season and asked OJ how the team was after losing eight seniors, one of which was an MLB pick. They finished as state runners-up for the 2022 season, their fourth state title game in the last six years under OJ, as reported by All Sports. Last year's team was so such a close-knit group that I think this year, at the beginning in the offseason, these guys were having a hard time because they wanted it to be the same as last year. And I told them it's never going to be the same. You know, you're going to have new kids come in. You have to adjust. And once the season starts, that's when the chemistry will, will, will start to build. It's hard to do it in the offseason because you're not here every day and you don't, you know, it's not as structured. Um, but, you know, we have the pieces. We have the pieces. Obviously, we're off to a good start. Of the 2022 team, five seniors got scholarships and one was drafted. I asked him what his secret sauce was. I like to think that I'm a, a player's coach. I'm very approachable uh, with the guys. 
I mean, obviously we have, you know, discipline and structure, but at the same time, like, I want these guys to come out here and enjoy themselves. Um, you know, it's not a job at this point. You know, we tell them in college, it's it's not a, it's not a job. It's a job there. It's more, you know, it's it's it becomes a lot more serious. Um, the guys that want to go out and continue, they put the time in, and it's structured enough to where they're prepared to go to college. But at the same time, here, I think it's it's four very special years of their life that it's all about you know camaraderie and teamwork. It's not just baseball. It's overall, you know, trying to prepare these guys to be better people and, and understand, you know, what what is life after baseball. Because even guys that go on to keep playing, eventually it's going to be over. I asked both favelas about how the program's reputation of success makes them feel. It's having a year a year long program. That's the that's the key. So when the season ends in May, uh, we're we're involved in the Kino League up in Tucson. And then uh, we're involved in constant tournaments, you know. They get like two months off, and then we start playing again tournaments. When I used to play, I played all three sports. And uh, when we started playing baseball, everybody had a sore arm like the first week. And now they throw year-round, so their, their arms are so much stronger and solid, and we don't have the problems that we used to have. I've always said that um, I'm just like the last step. I'm the head coach. I'm the last step. Um, if these guys didn't have a foundation um, coming in from their t-ball coaches, obviously their family, right? Somebody has to push these guys and their family. It, there has to be some spark, some interest, right? And I think the program now is that there's there's so much success that now younger kids are saying, hey, you know, I want to do this. So maybe we're maybe we're getting more kids to play, but at the same time, Nogales has always had baseball players roll through here. So I've always said I'm just it's an honor because I'm the I'm the coach, I'm the last step. And you know, when a kid gets a scholarship or we've won a state championship, the first thing I've told them is go back and thank all your coaches. Good coaches, bad coaches, everybody, you picked up something from somebody. You know, obviously if we had kids that did, got here and didn't know how to play baseball, we wouldn't be very good. So they're getting here and all we're doing is fine tuning and making adjustments and trying to build something as a team that, that we can continue to get kids to to go on and play. Gil says, OJ has done a tremendous job of coaching and staying competitive. Our Little League team, when I was 11 and 12 years old, there was a group of us that had a lot of talent. Picture a team that's 11 and 12 years old from Nogales that they've never gone to a state tournament forever in the history of Nogales. And then being part of it when I was 11 and 12 to get to the state championship and lose when I was 11 and and celebrate saying that was an amazing feat that Nogales did to when I was 12 years old going back to the state and winning the state championship and becoming the first Little League team from Nogales to make it to the Western Regional. That was an amazing feat for us and we were so proud. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just David, it wasn't Eduardo, it wasn't La. It was a combination of all 15 of us playing together that particular time and being successful because we were a team and and we grew up together. That's exactly what the current or this past teams that Nogales has brought. These kids have really done a lot. They've done exactly what we've done. But think about these kids that have been specializing in club teams even more integral playing together and now it's showing as far as how they're playing in high school. That's exactly, I think, one of the the biggest ingredients that OJ 
would say is these kids have been playing together for such a long time that it just makes it that much better for us to have success. I asked Gil, out of all the teams he's played for, which was his favorite? I would go probably to the roots of my whole thing and pick that 12-year-old team that we had because that's what started and trampoline the whole aspect of championship teams. David said he never expected any of this. I never did open up these doors and say, I was, I am going to be a major league baseball player. That never came or crossed my mind at all growing up because we never talked about it. I, even talking with my cousin Gail, we never talked about uh, becoming major league baseball players or anything else. We were just very fortunate and very happy to be playing Sandlot baseball and high school and college ball. That's all we wanted. And, and just that's was our nature, and, and we never thought about anything higher than that. The Nogales High School baseball program is multi-generational. It has grown on top of a strong foundation and relationships from a tight-knit community. Its success continues to prove that to onlookers over and over again. The Apaches finished 25-8 and eight this season. This year, a total of five seniors were offered college scholarships. The future is so bright. For more than a game, I'm Katia Mendoza. And that's it for this episode of More Than a Game. We're taking next week off but we'll be back with the second half of our season in two weeks. The show is produced and mixed by Zach Ziegler. Our news director is Christopher Conover. Our logo was designed by A.C. Swedberg. Thanks to our marketing team for their help in launching this podcast. This show is part of the AZPM podcast family. You can find all of our podcasts, news, and video productions at azpm.org. I'm Tony Perkins. See you next time.